forum for the courageous discussion of difficult subjects. Tonight is the second in an ongoing series on trauma. Tonight I'm going to be talking about EMDR therapy for trauma, and my guest is Celia Grand. Celia is a therapist in private practice in Portland, Maine. She's a facilitator with the EMDR Institute and helps with training EMDR therapists. She's also a trainer for the Sensory Motor Psychotherapy Institute. She works with trauma survivors, and she also works with couples. Welcome to Safe Space. Hi, Ann. So last week we talked some about um, what is trauma, what makes a really terrible event a traumatic one. And I want to start today by asking about what is post-traumatic stress disorder? What's PTSD? Trauma actually isn't what's happened to you in the past. It's what's still happening. So these symptoms of like intrusive memories or um, difficult feeling states or body memories or um, difficulty sleeping and eating, all of those symptoms create a difficult current existence because of something that happened in your past. And sometimes what happened goes underground because at the moment of trauma, we're, we're just trying to survive and get through it. And then once we're safe again, we may start remembering trauma. Most people remember trauma through their bodies and through different intrusive memories and feeling states. So when you say remember trauma through their bodies, what does that mean? Like what would be an example of that? An example of that is um, just feeling certain feeling states, uh, unknowing, but they might not have a cognitive memory of it. Um, so like a feeling state would be like a feeling of dread that kind of thing, or helplessness? Helplessness, or even intrusion, like highly anxious states, um, the body trembling or shaking, and they don't know why, or um, thoughts and feelings, or belief system of, you know, feeling of unworthiness or unlovability or helplessness, or not just being able to make it in the world, or having those t- negative tapes that go through your head over and over and over. And one thing that's so striking to me, I think, in talking to you and preparing for this is thinking about how, you know, the trauma and the trauma initially the person felt out of control, but then with PTSD, even if it's 30 years later, the person often feels out of control of these symptoms. So there's this kind of ongoing. Well, the symptoms are usually triggered by something in their current life. So often, like for uh, parents, they may see their child at 10 years old and they may have been abused at 10 years old and it went underground and they just went on with their life and went and tried to do whatever they could do and then all of a sudden their 10 year old does something and they go oh my god when I was 10 that didn't happen for me you know and so parenting relationships often trigger trauma um, because relationships you know bring us down to our knees about you know our life experiences and, and we're in connection with somebody. And so when we're connected, sometimes these symptoms come up. I often feel sometimes when in my clinical practice, what I've noticed is that when people start to feel safe, the symptoms start to come. On some level, unconscious level, the trauma they know is over, but all of a sudden it gets triggered again. And often they feel betrayed by their bodies and feel betrayed by you know, that, hey, I, I got out of it, I'm done, now why? 
now. Right, there's almost something cruel about that. Like, I'm finally safe, yeah. and now I have to deal with this. And then I have to deal with it. Yeah. And, yeah, go ahead. So I want to, you know, we're going to focus mostly today on, on EMDR, which is a very particular mode of therapy yes. for trauma. But tell me, maybe let's start by giving me kind of an overview, like a sketch of how you think about recovery from trauma. What's the sort of overview maybe of the steps of that or the kind okay. of necessary parts of it? And then we'll see how EMDR fits into that. Okay. Well, Janae, who was a theorist, like when Freud was around, there was a whole group of them trying to figure out the unconscious. And what Janae talked about with trauma was that there's three phases. One, in healing trauma. One is stabilization, meaning that the client or the person that wants to process their trauma need to be in a stable place, meaning being able to deal with the intensity of affect and dealing with the intensity of the feeling states and the body memories that also follow. And so, um, and then the second phase is processing trauma, which is going into the past and how it's affecting your present and going to those old memories and processing them through. And then the third phase is what we call reintegration, which is living your life free from trauma and, and, and getting the skills needed that you didn't get at the moment of trauma. Like often with trauma, there's the event that actually happened, and then there's the missing experiences so, for example, if a child is physically abused in, from a parent, um, there's the events of being physically abused, but it's also the missing experiences of growing up in a family where you're held and you can trust and you can explore. Those are what we call developmental traumas or attachment trauma. And so in event trauma, Always there's developmental trauma, but not necessarily there's event when there's developmental because it could just be a parent's misattunement or they're too wrapped up in their lives in their own world and burdened with adult stress so they forget their kids. And then the child gets messages about who they are as a person. You know, if my parent can't tend to me, then what does it say about me? So that those belief systems in event trauma or in developmental trauma are the things that live in us. So powerful. You know, I've never had it quite put that way to me before that in an event trauma, so if something, you know, some terrible thing that happens, there's also all the years afterwards where the person, say the child, has to live without, with their sense of trust being lost. Absolutely. And all the, the terrible cost of that. It's very poignant to really yeah. take that in. It really shapes us. It does really shape us, these missing experiences of trust and safety, getting our needs met, being supported, um, helping us develop our identity and our sexuality. Yeah, I mean, so it, it sort of speaks to how important it is, how old the person is when the trauma happens, because it's so formative if it happens very young. Yes, and, um, you know, there are traumas that happen before age three and before the, before the brain is developed. And so you're going to have somebody with a lot of body memory without any cognitive memory. And as memory comes online, you're going to get different sketches of memory. 
as opposed to someone who is a little bit older, they may have a more broad spectrum of memory. Right. It's very powerful to really take in, I think, the depth that this can affect somebody. So if we come back to these three stages, stabilization, processing the trauma, and reintegration, how, where does EMDR fit in? And, and, and really, maybe let's even start before that. What is EMDR? And okay. then we'll get to okay. how it fits into that. Great. EMDR, that's an acronym called Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. And EMDR was um, developed by Francine Shapiro um, around 1988-89. And she was a psychologist going, she was in her doctorate program, and she was studying REM sleep. And she had some issues herself, and she would go walk in the park, and she would think about a problem, and she would think about what that problem made her believe about herself and the feelings and the body sensations. And then after her walk, she would feel better. And so she did this, she kept doing this experiment and she realized that her eyes would rapidly move. So initially she felt that EMDR replicated REM sleep because it was rapid eye movement if you really had that intense focus. And just to explain, so REM sleep is like when a person is dreaming and when you watch them through their closed eyelids and the eyes are just like back and forth, back and forth really quickly. Yes. And REM sleep is also how our brains consolidate our life experience. So every moment of the day, our brain is taking in information. And when we get into those deep sleep, into deep sleep, the brain kind of calls out and says, oh, we don't need this. Oh, this is important. And this is going to form a memory. And this is what we need. And we don't need that. And we don't need this. And so that's how memory gets consolidated in our brains. So she, so Francine felt like there was something about the belief system, about feelings, about the experience and the body sensation that needed to be processed when you're dealing with trauma. And so EMDR is, so then from that, the theory became, and our hypothesis is that in the right hemisphere of the brain is where we store our emotions, our creativity, and in the left part of our brain is how we make meaning out of our life experience. Well, at the moment of trauma, that gets split. So how trauma gets lodged in the brain is in the right hemisphere, in what we call and she was a behaviorist, so we have very weird jargon. Okay, it's a warning. <laughs> she, right. So um, she said that the um, trauma was dysfunctionally stored in the right hemisphere. So it gets stuck there and it can't consolidate and it can't process through. So her hypothesis was if we used eye movements to replicate the REM sleep, then we could process through in a conscious state. Um, and so, uh, so that's pretty much the theory behind EMDR. What EMDR is is actually a very weird method. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> I, I mean, what I understand is it's not just eye movements, but it's actually bilateral stimulation of the brain, alternating bilateral that's stimulation, right. and that there's something about that that helps that processing that you're describing, that storage get re reprocessed and restored. Right. Well, the corpus colloquium is um, the part of the brain that's between the right and left hemisphere. And that's and so what we're doing with bilateral stimulation, either through eye movements or through tapping or through sound, um, 
into the right or left ear is helping that information to go over so so that the right the right hemisphere that dysfunctionally stored material lowers so that the left hemisphere can come online and you can get oriented to the present meaning like what happened to me or this memory that's intruding on me is in my past a lot of trauma survivors don't realize when they're triggered or having intrusive experiences that they're actually that they're in a present time so that present time orientation is really important so a trauma survivor needs to know that their traumas in their past and there's something about the identification of knowing that it happened to me and and in honoring that and respecting yourself in that you survived it. So let me just stop you there because I okay. want to understand that. There's something important about knowing it happened to me. So when I hear that, part of me gets confused because I think, well, doesn't the person already know that? What's different about what you're saying? Well, you know, because trauma goes, <clears throat> the experience goes underground, and then it gets stimulated by something in their present day. It's hard to believe that that happened to you because you're not always remember you don't always remember it's not always in your conscious memory. You mean it's hard to believe like uh, the way the reason I'm responding in this intense way right now is because <laughs> that something happened to me back then like that that connection is not clear. It's not clear. Not even conscious in it's that moment. Not, no, most trauma survivors feel crazy. They feel like if if this happened to me, why didn't I? Why haven't I always remembered it? Um, they may feel like they're making it up, or a disloyalty to a family member, or a you know someone who had harmed them. And so, uh, most trauma survivors will doubt their own reality. That's that's really one of the lasting, really lasting effects that is harmful to a person, is that they can't trust their own reality. Or like the legitimacy of it, that it matters. I've worked with people who, they know what happened to them, but they because no one helped them or no one talked about it or no one acknowledged right. it, they feel like somehow it doesn't really count or it isn't legitimate or it doesn't matter. They should already be over it already. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So in EMDR... Um, just getting to the bones of it is the heart of EMDR is the belief system. Like what, how did this trauma or these trauma experiences help you develop a sense of self? And most trauma survivors will tell you that they have a negative sense of self. So belief systems like I'm not lovable, I'm damaged, I'm not worthy, um, I'm not did I say lovable? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't trust. I'm not important. I don't matter. You know, those are the those are the skeletons of the trauma is what happens, you know, to our sense of who we are. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann, and this is Safe Space. I'm talking to Celia Grand about using EMDR for therapy to heal trauma. So let me let me actually make it real so that if, sure. if I if I was coming to you, you're an EMDR therapist, what would I expect? So I've heard what you've just said to me is that those beliefs are at the heart of it. Yeah. So how does it work? I come in and I say to you, I had this trauma. 
Well, what, what usually, happens? Well, you know, usually what happens is a, a good therapist will just do a general, what we call a psychosocial assessment, gather the history. Um, what I'm listening for are what what the presenting problem, what, so why someone's coming in, but where in their history did that cause, was that present issue being caused by, you know, like what happened to them? So I'm tracking it. And when we get a really clear picture of like, just say, for example, um, somebody doesn't know how to be in relationship, like they uh, have failed relationships and they want to know what am I doing wrong? (laughs) What am I doing wrong? And then we start to, um, I hear the story of maybe they were physically or sexually abused as a child. And so they became very protective of being close to people because the people inside their house were abusing them. So they didn't have that sense of trust and safety. And connection was dangerous. So every time they try to go get into a relationship, something something happens. So in an EMDR session, we would look at that memory and we would actually look at what the belief system they have about themselves now. Not then at the trauma, but now. It's like the other theoretical piece of EMDR is we call, we, we have this notion of neural networks, that that early life experience, the earliest one we call it the touchstone memory, sets the template. And then other experiences start adding on. And as we have that neural network, at the end, at the top, is a belief system. So something like, I'm not worthy, may have a root to like when I was five years old and I went to kindergarten and all the kids made fun of me when my, I don't I split my pants or something, you know what I mean? And it was humiliating. And then they go home and they're humiliated inside their house. And so that person then goes through life and through different developmental times, it gets reinforced. So the belief system gets reinforced. So that's what we start with. So when you say start with, do you mean, like I say to you, if I'm your patient, so I have this belief that I'm worthless, and then you start, I like hold on to that belief, and then you start doing the statement. Like, well, let me, let's slow t- down a yeah. tiny bit. Okay. So the first level would be like, we if you say, you know, I can't be in relationship because I feel like I'm worthless. I'd go get some, mem- I would do um, some memory work. And we would get to specific memories where that belief system started. And then, and this is, I just got to back up a tiny bit. When I went to talk about stabilization and reprocessing trauma, first of all, the client has to be able to tolerate intense emotion and feeling states. That's the stabilization. So if they can do that, we go right into the EMDR protocol. If they can't, then we have to develop that for them. And so if we're going right into the processing trauma, the therapist and the client collaboratively have decided to work on a specific memory. So we ask, bring up that memory And what's the picture that represents the worst part now? We want to have any snippet of memory. And if there's no visual or cognitive memory, we'll ask for a feeling state. And then we ask what the belief system is to that picture. And then we want to know 
What would you rather believe about yourself? Because it's really important that we're moving towards the curative, towards what the person doesn't believe about themselves, but really wants to. And then we have a small scale and how believable they are to that, how they feel. So if the negative cognition is what we call it, that's one of those fancy words. Meaning I'm not lovable. I'm not lovable. And what would you rather believe about yourself? I am lovable. We would ask a scale, right? Because there's pre and post test. That's how we can we can um, decide if EMDR is working for somebody from these scales. Right, it's got a built-in evaluation system Abs- right in it. Absolutely. Unlike most therapies. Absolutely. Yeah. And then we ask the emotions to the picture and to the negative cognition and then what the emotions come up. And then we scale it again and what we call a level of disturbance. And we want to know how disturbing it is to the person now. Because remember I said trauma is what's happening now, not what happened then. So the picture that represents the worst part, the belief, the emotions, and how distressing is it to you now? And then where you feel that distress in your body. And then this is where either the weird thing happens or the miracle happens. We start eye movements or bilateral stimulation. And we, the belief is that the brain has its own capacity to heal. Just like as if you had a cut on your finger and those antibodies were going to go create a scab so that nothing comes into your body that can hurt you. The brain has that same capacity. So what feels weird is your eyes are rapidly moving or you're feeling a tap and the therapist has to stay out of the way. It's not an interactive therapy at that point because we want the optimal condition to be for the client to heal themselves, their brain to heal themselves. And then we do a series of stopping, just checking in, going on, checking in, you know, until we either run out of time or that level of disturbance gets down to a zero. And when that happens, we put in what we call an installation of that positive belief. That they'd already identified at the beginning. That they identified in the beginning. And then we end with a body scan so that the person can have the memory and that positive belief and know that that's over, it happened to me, but I'm okay, and I'm free from it. And we do a body check. And then that's a completed session in EMDR. So let me backtrack, because this is really fascinating, of course. And, um, you know, one of the things that people with trauma so often talk about is a fear of being overwhelmed and being re-traumatized. And how do you prevent that from happening? Well, you know, um, a good EMDR therapist would do some prep work to make sure that the client has enough capacity to to handle the intensity. This is that stabilization thing you were talking about. But you know what? Sometimes we step on landmines that we don't know. So a skilled EMDR therapist um, would know how to, like, for me, like, I don't have any fear if somebody, you know, steps on their landmine, I can, I've been doing this since 1996, so I can help them get through that moment. With EMDR or more with you being more active and talking? Uh, it depends on the what's particularly happening, but I try to stay within the EMDR frame because I'm 
pretty much a purist. But as I said, and you'll be doing sensory motor, um, I'm a trainer for that. So I'll do a little body intervention to stabilize the body because the body is the fastest way we process information. So if the body's stable, then the rest can go back and start working and moving through it. It's, it's so intriguing. You know, one of the things that you said to me is that, you know, as with most therapies, I think we we learn most about them by receiving them. And I understand that you... I did. Uh, that you were skeptical, and then you became a believer from your own experience. Would you tell me briefly yeah, about that? It's a that? funny story, but I, um, when I was... I had moved down to the D.C. area, and I started working in a practice, and the, I said I was a trauma therapist, and the person said to me, well, you must know EMDR, and I didn't. So I went and got trained, and I was like, oh, this is hooey, this is crazy stuff. But... People were really believing in it, so I decided to go get three sessions. And long story short, the three sessions were very powerful for me. The first one wasn't. It was, um, I was like, oh, it's okay. And the second one was like, well, I got a little bit, but I think I'm wasting my money. But the third one, I when I did the third one, it really made a huge shift in my consciousness, and I was sold. And then I said, well, you know, I kind of like this stuff and I'm kind of into personal process, blah, blah, blah. And then I had a client, my first client that I did EMDR with. I tried everything. I said, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm, we'll try this. And a miracle happened and her whole life changed. Now, it doesn't always happen that way. I have to tell you, I don't want to give anybody any illusion. Most sessions don't happen that way. I was lucky in myself, and I was lucky with that client. But most people don't have what I call the thunderbolt experience. But most people who experience EMDR can feel the quality of their life getting better over time, and they can't explain it. It's wonderful. I mean, that, you know, it's so much of psychiatry and mental health practice we can't explain necessarily, but we know what we see. Exactly. And this sounds very much like that. Um, we're going to stop in a minute. Do you have, is it possible to ask you one last question ever so briefly? I mean, what intrigues me is how these beliefs shift. You know, the belief is at the heart of it, and you work with the negative belief. And well, you as you desensitize that material that's in the right hemisphere, the thoughts, the feelings, the inner body sensation, when you desensitize that, that active material, the left brain can come online. The left brain is shut off the when there's so much activity. Meaning. And the left brain makes new meaning. That's that's the belief. Thank you so much. So um, if someone wants to learn more about EMDR, wants to contact you, how can they do that? I have a website. It's celiagrand.com. Great. And um, it, there's a very active EMDR community in the greater Portland area. And we have a small directory now. I'm trying to get it built. But it's uh, www.com. Uh, org. Emdria being? E-M-D-R-I-A. That's our international association. And we have regional meetings where therapists get continuing education. So if someone wanted to find an EMDR therapist, they could go on org to find a therapist. Well, emdria.org you could, but also there's a local one, emdriasouthernmaine.org. Emdriasouthernmaine.org, great. And you mentioned one other website that sounded fantastic with trauma resources. Yes, trauma resources. It's David Baldwin. He's out of Portland, Oregon, and it's called uh, trauma-pages.com. 
Wonderful. Celia Grand, you have been such a, a, really such a help and a great resource. Thank you so much for being my guest on Safe Space. Thanks. My thanks tonight to Goober for mixing the sound and to Maurice Lennon for the music. Also to Neil McKenty for being my consultant. If you would like to listen to the show again in its entirety, you can do so on the website at safespaceradio.com. You can also email it to a friend or download shows through iTunes or subscribe to get weekly notices about topics. We will be continuing with the trauma series next week. I'm going to be interviewing Janina Fisher about mm-hmm. dissociation. Coming up next is Money Talks with Allison. <laughs>